Elijah is the man who in chapter 18 called down fire from heaven and saw 450 prophets of Baal terrified and ultimately executed and defeated. And then he runs away scared. He runs away scared because Jezebel threatens his life. He runs away scared because actually something that didn't belong to him, which was a spirit of fear, got into his heart and terrified him and overwhelmed him and discouraged him and frightened him. He ran away because he was disappointed. Not just about what was happening in Israel, he was disappointed about the growing corruption in the nation, but he was also disappointed about what hadn't happened, that he hadn't been able to stop the growing corruption. That's what sometimes gets us and overwhelms us and gives us emotional suffering. It's not just what happens to us, it's the feeling of what hasn't happened for us and what we expected. It might be you have an encounter with God and it hasn't brought you into the liberty and freedom that you were expecting and hoping for it to bring you into. So you're disappointed by what hasn't yet happened. And he chooses to run. It's interesting, we've been singing a song about running. You see, Elijah was a man who was always very conscious of what was God saying? Where was God directing him? What was God asking him to do? And suddenly, because fear got in and a threat got in and disappointment got in, he's gripped by fear. And instead of trusting God, he chooses to run in We looked at in the previous weeks that we're not free to choose a life free of hurt, but we are free to choose what we do with pain. And so Elijah runs away, finds himself in the desert, and he's overwhelmed, we read, by hopeless despair and thick darkness and suicidal thoughts. And God meets him in his darkest moment by giving him sleep and giving him something to eat. And we understood that God is a God of holistic approach. He understands that we're people with a body. We've got a resurrection spirit in a body that needs sleep, that needs food, that needs rest, that needs to be looked after. And God meets his body with sleep and food and it brings him strength. And then he goes on a journey towards encountering God and we looked at the fact that God wasn't in a rush to get Elijah out of his emotional turmoil see God wasn't the source of his emotional turmoil actually the source was the evil statements of Jezebel I'm going to kill you and God wasn't the source or the architect or the designer of Elijah's reaction. Actually, Elijah's brokenness and his fear of people and his disappointment meant that the threats of Jezebel found a home and he went running. And we found that he goes on this 40-day and 40-night journey towards an encounter with God and that God is not in a rush to get Elijah out of emotional suffering. That God doesn't speak a word of comfort or encouragement or strength to him on the journey. 
He's just left on his own with the pain that was caused by his own choices in this particular account. And so he's left just feeling the feelings of fear, discouragement, hopelessness, 40 days, 40 nights, and not a word from God. And now this week we're going to look at God does not leave him stuck there. God doesn't leave him stuck. That's not the end of the story. His poor choice to run away is not the end. But God's going to meet him in the cave where he goes. So in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 9, after 40 days and 40 nights, he comes to the mount of God. And it says in verse 9, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God knows what he's doing here. He knows all (laughs) things. Hosea 2.14 talks about God leads us into the desert to speak tenderly to us. Sometimes that's the discipline of God. He's quiet, he's silent, but he's all the time leading us to a place where he's going to get our heart and our attention and it's the right timing where he can speak tenderly to us. We considered last week 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of what we suffered in the province of Asia. We despaired even of our very lives. In other words, we felt the sentence of death. We felt almost that sense of suicidal and we wished we were dead. And then Paul goes on to say, but this happened so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And sometimes that's what discipline looks like. It's not punishment. It's not God being cruel. It's God understanding that as human beings, we sometimes have to go through a 40-day, 40-night process, a process where we're ready to hear his voice say, hey, what are you doing here? It's a moment where he's going to meet with Elijah. There's a tenderness in his voice. Understanding the tone of God's voice is critical to having an intimate relationship and connection with God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And we could say, my sheep know also the tone of my voice. So we can have in our heads a harsh, critical chatter in our head of it's not good enough, you haven't done enough. And that's the voice, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's not the voice of God. God is not accusing Elijah of something here. Let's hear compassion. Let's hear kindness rather than critical, judgmental accusation. It's just a moment of, Elijah, what are you doing here? Hey, my friend, you're off track. What are you doing here? Why did you run when Jezebel threatened you? What are you doing here? Why are you in this cave? I didn't ask you to come to this cave but I'm going to meet you here because that's where you are it's a reminder that 
God wants to restore. It's an interaction of what's happened to you. How did you get here, Elijah? Why did you run? Why didn't you trust? Elijah prays pretty much the same prayer three times in one chapter. And commentators say, writers say, scholars say, when he prays again in verse 10, he's still praying from a broken heart of discouragement and disappointment. What are you doing here? I've been very jealous for the Lord, he says in verse 10. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He says the same prayer again because he hasn't got an answer yet. He needs an answer. He needs God to speak. He needs wisdom from heaven. He needs a different perspective. But he's still in sadness. He's still praying in brokenness. He's still praying in a kind of deep, frustrated disappointment. I'm disappointed by the growing corruption. I'm disappointed that I've not been able to stop it and do and bring something different. And I'm disappointed by the growing evil that I see around me. And I'm disappointed that I'm the only one left. That everybody else is gone and dead or lost and is hopeless and impossible. And I've been passionate and I've been zealous for you, God. And where have you been? 40 days and 40 nights you've not said a word. I'm cheesed off. I'm broken hearted. And so he pours out his heart. He pours out in authentic honesty. He's not saying what he thinks God wants to hear. He's saying what is authentic and real. And how he sees things in that moment. And God still doesn't answer. God still doesn't give him a blow-by-blow answer. He just says to him in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And then the Bible says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind torn through the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So there's all these moments where Elijah encounters how God has shown up in the past. God has shown up in all those ways in the past. He's shown up like that as wind. Job encounters God in the wind. God's turned up in the wind. He's turned up as well in the earthquake. On Mount Sinai, God turned up in the earthquake when God gave the Ten Commandments. God has turned up in the earthquake. And God has turned up in the fire. God's turned up in the fire when the burning bush was burning but wouldn't be consumed. God has turned up in all these ways, but God wasn't turning up in this way right now for Elijah. And Elijah knew it. So when we need an encounter with God, when we need to be, as it were, in the cave where we've come to the end of ourselves, we need a moment with God and we need to hear a fresh word from God, he won't necessarily turn up in the way that he's turned up to you in the past. He's not necessarily going to do it the way he did it in the past. 
And sometimes we think we can uh, just construct and construe and make happen an environment that forces God to turn up in a way he's come in the past. But he's a person who's interactive and he's creative and imaginative and he knows exactly how to turn up and meet with us. I just encourage us when we come on Sundays to come up and say, God, you could turn up any way you want today. Any way you want. You can turn up in my life any way you want. How are you going to meet with me today? How am I going to hear your voice today, God? How are you going to come to me? How am I going to hear your tenderness today? God, I'm open and ready. And God didn't show up in the way he showed up in the past. He showed up in silence. And it says here, and when Elijah heard it, and after the fire, the sound of a, of a low whisper, or the sound of silence. Apparently translators translated it as a still small voice, or the sound of a whisper, because no one knew how God could show up in silence. They thought, he can't do it. He can't show up in silence, so we'll, get, we'll retranslate that to make it understandable. But the original would have said, he showed up, in the sound of sheer silence. And Elijah is still sensitive to God and recognises it's God. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then God speaks. We'll talk briefly about the power of sheer silence and and silence is the space in between words silence is the space in between words Elijah met with God in the space where there was nothing the sound of sheer silence something powerful when we come to the end I think of ourselves somehow silence is that recognition of I've come to the end of myself I lay down my right to complain and strategize and tell you what to do I lay down my right to bring my arguments and my disappointments I lay down my right to try and attempt to control you. And Elijah hears God in the sound of sheer silence. There's a sense in the silence he's hanging on somehow every word or every insight that God God brings. It's in the silence that he finds we discover spiritual resources. I think we'd be surprised if we knew how much is going on in silence with God. How much interaction there is between our spirit and God's spirit in the moment when we stop talking and chattering and worrying out loud and we're just still and silence. There's a conversation that happens with God in silence. There's an interaction that happens with God in silence. There's an exchange that happens with God in silence. There's actually two-way sharing that's really deep and profound and transformatory that happens in the sound of sheer silence. And for Elijah, something 
transforming happens on the other side of silence. God asks the same question again. What are you doing here? And so scholars say that in his reply in the third prayer, something has happened inside of Elijah. If we say the first prayer was suicidal and dark and despairing, the second prayer was full of uh, brokenness, disappointment, and still a sense of, where are you, God? And people say he's now received something in the sound of sheer silence. He's received something from God that is actually transforming this third prayer and the tone of this prayer. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And, and I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, it's the same prayer, but people say it's now flavoured with a kind of humility that wasn't in the previous prayers. There's a sense he's aware that he's acted hastily and he's disobeyed and he ran when he shouldn't run. That he was trying to do God's work in his own way. And something happened in the silence. Something happened in the sound of sheer silence. Something happened in between the space of between the words where he's meeting with God and God is doing a deep work in his heart. It's a sense in which the process of the 40 days and the 40 nights and the running scared and his own anguish and disappointment, the process has done its work and he's now ready to actually hear what God wants to do. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jeshua the son of Nishmai shall anoint to, to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shabat of Abel Minalola however you pronounce, you shall anoint him to be a prophet in your place. Something happens in the sound of sh sheer silence because suddenly he's got spiritual resources and suddenly he's seeing things and hearing things from God's perspective. He's getting a higher perspective. In this, in this scripture, God is talking about he's going to deal with the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel. God's saying, I've seen it, I know about it, I'm dealing with it, it's going to be dealt with, and we know later on God does deal with it. He's saying, I want to address this, you're not the only one left. After he's come through silence, he's then able to get a higher perspective and hear that God has actually guarded 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal and who have actually remained faithful to God and to the promises of God. Yes, there's been growing corruption, but it's not as bad, Elijah, as you had thought and how you had concluded. You had speculated on that and it wasn't true. There are 7,000 people more than you realised. And that's an important revelation for us that when we think God is doing nothing, when we think God is silent and 
and that silence is he's inactive, that when we do what Revelation says, it says, come up here, or what Ephesians says, come and see things from heavenly places where you're seated with Christ, we see that actually God is doing, as Steve Backlund often says in his talks, 7,000 times more than we realise. And that what we conclude is, I can't see it, so it can't be happening. And we conclude negatively that I'm the only one. And that God says, no, there are 7,000 times more people than you realise. And Elijah hears as well that God's going to give him Elisha, who's going to be his deputy, who's going to replace him. So God immediately reminds Elijah, it doesn't stop with you, Elijah. I've got a succession plan. I've got a plan that means that what I'm doing in this nation will carry on beyond your life and beyond you being ascended in the, when he sees the chariot. I'm going to raise up someone who's going to replace you, who's going to carry on the, wor- the work. And I see you, and I see your loneliness, and I'm going to be bringing someone to you so that you're no longer alone. And so we notice with God, he sees Elijah when he's hungry and feeds him. We see him when he's thirsty and gives him water. And we see him when he's lonely and promises to raise up someone who's going to be with him. Some of you got conned in your understanding of the gospel, believing it was keeping a whole load of rules for a God who's never quite happy and always slightly ticked off with you. And he says, that wasn't, that's not the good news and that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus gave himself, his life, his death and his resurrection so that we would be completely clean from everything we've ever thought, done, every act and everything we didn't do so that our consciences are completely clean, that we actually are the very righteousness of Christ and that's how God sees you. And that he doesn't see your sin somehow under a mat and he somehow ignores it. He sees you as spotless and clean and righteous. He actually chooses to not remember your past. He chooses to forget. And he chooses to place your sins as far as the east is from the west, which, which means they can never meet. He chooses to do that, and that's the truth. And he delights over you with singing, and he calls you a son and daughter. So that means you have access to the Father in the same way that Jesus had access to the Father. And it means that you are loved by the Father in the same passion and intensity that Jesus is loved by the Father. That's how he sees you, and that's how he views you. And that any treadmill that you're on to try and please, appease and perform for God is actually a lie of legalism. And God just says, right today, why don't you step off the treadmill and why don't you step aside from that and listen to my still quiet voice in the silence that will only speak affirmation, confirmation and rejoicing and will speak the best about you and will speak about who you are in me and will upgrade you and draw you into deeper waters of love and affection. And he says, would you dare lay, lay aside all your legalism today and all your performance and all your trying to get a relationship with me through perfectionism, would you lay all the heavy burden down and trust the goodness of the gospel and the finished work where Jesus said it's finished? That's the invitation of the gospel, to have a deep, wonderful, intimate connection with God, which is interactive and conversive, and which you hear deep calls to deep, and deep exchange, deep conversation, deep joy, deep laughter, and deep, deep wonder and awe as you get to walk with the best friend that you could ever have in the universe. And God just invites you into that. And sometimes being invited into that is to believe that it exists and to believe that it's there for you. And so God says, would you lay down all your striving 
and all your efforts to try and win affection that you already have and embrace the sound of my voice that says, I love you, I affirm you, and I delight in you.